Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 94. Today's guest is Jill Pame. Jill Pame is a licensed professional counselor and a child and play therapist practicing in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Jill is also a wife and a mother to two young boys. The reason I asked Jill to come on the show is to tell her incredible journey surviving triple negative breast cancer. Jill tells a remarkable story from the first moment she felt something was just not right to getting the initial diagnosis from her physician to her six months of chemotherapy sessions, then her surgery, and finally, the emotional ringing of the bell after her last chemotherapy session in front of her entire family. Jill's story is amazing. I was so fortunate to get her to come on the show to tell her amazing journey. It's a story of resilience, courage, tenacity. I hope you enjoy. In the show notes, there's a link to Jill's 5K and a donation page that raises money, not for her, but for the women going through breast cancer treatment that aren't as fortunate to have great insurance to fight it the way Jill did. If you could take a look at that and help, that would be fantastic. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button or better yet, share this episode with a friend. We have a bunch of amazing guests like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Jill Pame, wife, mother, and survivor of triple negative breast cancer. And remember, life is built, not born. Jill Pame, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. It is an honor to have you. Jill, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? So I am a proud wife and proud mother of two boys and a black lab. That's important. You can't forget the dogs. <laughs> and I'm also a, an owner of a therapy practice, and I work primarily with children of all different realms of life as far as anxiety or trauma or grief or all of that. And I also am a developmental specialist through Abington Jefferson Hospital, working with the babies just to identify any developmental delays and just following through, plugging them into the systems moving forward. I want to get into that, but the reason why I feel so fortunate to have you on the show is your unbelievable battle and the success story that you have of battling your triple negative breast cancer and how like the community rallied around you and just watching you and your family and your kids and your husband, Brian, go through this and not only come out the other side healthy and successful but coming out, helping others by doing 5Ks and raising money. And you're in your own battle and instantly you start helping other people by raising money and doing races. It was just so impressive. And I was wondering if we could get into that, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Before we get started, just want to start all the way back from the beginning. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Huntington Valley. I went to Upper Moreland High School and actually swam for Upper Moreland Swim Club. So a local girl, not too far away from here. Awesome. Tell us, how did you get into developmental counseling? How did you get into your career? 
I started off wanting to be an elementary school teacher. As any college student, I feel like goes through, they decide that what they're interested in isn't really what they signed up for or whatnot. So I then took a step further and became a school counselor for Agora Cyber Charter School. Stayed there for a while, but while I was doing that, I really saw and identified needs of kiddos who weren't necessarily getting the treatment that they needed, nor was I able to as a school counselor, I wasn't able to be a therapist. So I I really wanted to see how I could help. So I went back to school and then that's where I identified I would really like to work with the babies all the way up to about 16 or so years old. Awesome. Before we get into your story, what do you see in your counseling side? What do you see kids struggling with now post-COVID? Do you see your average your average child struggling with? What do you help with? Anxiety, depression, trauma, grief, just social anxieties, trying to even be a child in this world right now. So a lot of just different layers of the anxiety umbrella. And then a lot of also communication barriers, so selective mutism. And ADHD kids, which uh, they have my heart. Yeah, that's got to be so hard in this day and age with the ADHD. There, even if you don't suffer from a, a clinical diagnosis, there are so many distractions and it's so hard to stay on task where everything's dinging and pinging and alerts. And it's <laughs> crazy, isn't it? I can imagine if you had a clinical diagnosis, how much more harder it would be. Because I know adults that are fine, they can't focus, right? They have really nothing clinically wrong with them. And I can imagine if you have that diagnosis, how hard that is. That's got to be so hard. It is. And it's it's hard because kids will be their true versions of themselves, which I always welcome in my playroom that I have for them as far as or our technique room, whatever you want to call it, where I want to see them at their best, but also as people would diagnose them as at their absolute worst. So that I'm able to really work on the limitations and see how we can provide some techniques and tools to put into the toolkit so that they can take it into their personal life or school life or wherever. If you will mind, I'd like to transfer over to be respectful of your time. I think a child psychologist, I think that could just be a whole nother episode. Maybe we'll have you back to talk about that. <laughs> sure. That just sounds like a whole great little episode, a road we can go down, but would love to speak about your journey and your battle with triple negative breast cancer, how you overcame it, how you're fighting it to this day, just all the great stuff you're doing. If we could go back to the start of the process, how did you first realize something may be up? Could you walk us through that? So I listened to my body and I know that we see commercials all the time, you know, listen to your body or do tests. But as a, before I was diagnosed, I wasn't 40 yet. So I didn't know what to, how to do an actual mammogram or what I'm looking for. So I just didn't feel right. And that's when I had a conversation with Brian. I said, you know, something just doesn't seem right. Let me just kind of pause, get a shower. And then for whatever reason, that's then where my hand went to the spot that just didn't feel right. So, you know, I didn't know if it was just, as they say, like lump breast mass or dense, I should say a dense breast mass, or if it's just a cyst or, you know, whatever it was, but I just didn't want to wait. Just, I wanted to fight if it was something fight for my family and for, for family, friends, community, everything. So, um, 
that's then where I decided to call my OBGYN and just state a concern. And my practice was wonderful as far as they got me right in. He just said, you know, it's movable, which that's one thing that I, I think is is a big misconception is that if the lump moves, that it's not cancer and tumors shouldn't move and they should be hard. Well, mine was clearly movable and I just didn't, I knew something wasn't right, but I just thought, you know, I'm not going to jump the gun. So then from there, my doctor sent me over to get a mammogram and didn't really know the process. I went to one, one time before just because of you know, having a history of cysts, but not cancer. So after that, they said, you know, we just want you to go and have an ultrasound. Again, didn't think anything was off just because I'm not used to the process. And then that's when the doctor came in and shared with me that something is irregular and they would like for me to get a biopsy. And that's just when the whole world just started to spin. But again, it was so great because they don't mess around and they plugged me into the right people to call and getting a biopsy done. And then after that, talked with some of the treatment team, a breast surgeon they connected me with. And then that's when she, Dr. Nolano is, is my breast surgeon. She is the one who then confirmed that I had triple negative breast cancer. And we, Brian and I had no idea what that even meant. So she had to explain to us that it's not, it's a cancer cell that went bad but is not fed by anything. So it's no hormone related. There's no estrogen, progesterone in there. All the receptors are negative. So that's where it's, I guess, more alarming because they don't know where it came from. So it can act quicker or more aggressively. So jumped right into treatment, met my oncologist, and she has just been a godsend. The whole team, everyone, just everyone's just awesome. Wow. So just to recap, one day it's your husband and your two two beautiful boys, and just one day you woke up and you something just didn't feel right, and then you basically you felt something that didn't feel right. You called your OBGYN, mammogram, ultrasound, biopsy, and then when your surgeon says triple negative, and you got the, the official diagnosis, what goes through your mind? What's your first thoughts? I can't even imagine. My my first thought was, how am I going to even explain this to my kids? So I think that was more of, they knew, so Brian's mom passed away from breast cancer in 2011. So they knew that my mom died of it. So I had to really put my therapy hat on to explain to them that there's more advanced medicine and research. And I got them dark guns. I had my scans up. We had a great time making a game out of it. <laughs> wow. The counselor comes out, huh? This is where your degree comes in so handy. Oh my gosh. Right. So you become counselor inside your own family, basically. Correct. Wow. And you got the dark guns and you're shooting. Tell us about that. What's that like? So I printed it off. I wanted to, I think the biggest thing through all of this was I never wanted my kids to feel like they weren't a part of it. Certainly there's conversations that medical terms or things that are a little bit scary that I don't, I didn't want them to know, but I never wanted them to feel like they were not a part of, of the fight. So I tried to make it where we could have that control back. So I printed off our, my scans and showed them, of course, boys being boys, they giggled at term boob. And, you know, so we had a fun time with that. (laughs) They named it. So, yeah. (laughs) 
that I posted it or I, I taped it on our wall downstairs in our basement, got them masks, got them dark guns and just let them have their chance to attack the scans as much as they wanted to and just be able to freely talk about it. That's, that's incredible. So then you go, what's the time frame from the moment you said, hey, I, I think something doesn't feel right to the moment you got the diagnosis, like the surgeon calls you at home. What's the time lapse in between? Not long at all. I want to say maybe three weeks total was when everything wow. I, everything got plugged in. So it was every week. And then it, I really, I started chemo in November and then just went all the way through until June. So basically you went from your everyday life to within three weeks, you got a diagnosis and you're in chemo. Correct. Wow. Unbelievable. That is such a perspective changer, like in 21 days, right? You can blink and 21 days goes by. Like you don't even remember something right. happened. Yeah. Crazy. So your whole focus and mission in life completely changed in 21 days. Completely changed. Yep. So you start the chemo. So chemo comes first, right? Is it chemo before? Chemo, you- I didn't, I didn't have to do radiation. Thank God. Okay. Just awesome. chemo. Okay. So they put me on a, a weekly chemo regimen, then break. And then I do something called the red devil, which is just, that's the most aggressive part. And that's where just your whole body is, is not wanting you to be your friend. (laughs) So they, they term it the red devil, that version of chemo. Yes. Oh, it's like a AC something or other, but all the the chemo nurses call it the red devil because (laughs) when it's going through the IV, it's going in red. That's incredible. How long the chemo sessions, how long would like your basic chemo session be? So I learned fast to get blood work a day before because there there would be days that I would get blood work done and my body was not ready to have chemo. So then I would have to go home and then that put me back another week. And that was, I think, the most struggle because if you're in this, you want it to be done and move on. But having to wait or then having to get a shot to make sure that your body is, is ready to go and your blood cells are ready. So with that in mind, once I got blood work, out of the way, it was probably about an hour and or an hour and a half to two hours, depending. So I also had immunotherapy in there. They had to pull that because that gave me the neutropenic fever, which mm-hmm. put you in the hospital for a good little bit. Wow. So you were hospitalized with the neutropenic fever, really? Correct. How long was like a hospital stay like that for? I was in there for five days and still wow. worked, mind you. It still okay. worked, but I was in there. And I let everyone know, hey, I'm in the hospital. Are you still good? So let's get to that. I'm going to continue on your journey. But one of the just remarkable things, the two things that just blow me away. One, instantly you start giving back. I can imagine a normal person would be so self-focused. Within months, you're raising money to help other people. Not for you. You're, and it's not like a GoFundMe page. This right. is like you're doing 5Ks and doing charity events for cancer, for triple negative breast cancer research to help others. Correct. Let's go to that. How soon did you pivot while you're still in your treatment to say, you know what? Not only am I fighting this, I want to raise money to help other people that are fighting through this. I think it was one of of the very early on conversations, probably in December, when you become so close with your oncologist. And 
she's just the full package as far as bedside manner, really explaining things, giving support, making you feel like you're not alone. And never did I ever feel I was alone, but she wanted to just reassure that, you know, I have her phone number. I can call her middle of the night, whenever it would be. And that's then when I don't want to compare an oncologist to just regular doctor's visits, but it was a matter of, I was just so taken aback in a very positive way that she was willing to put this time and energy into just one patient. Why can't I then do that? Number one, for Asplund Cancer Pavilion, but also for all of the other patients who maybe not have the support that I have. So I asked her, I said, do you ever do fundraisers or does the center have a fundraiser? And surprisingly, she said they don't necessarily do that. So that's then when I got hooked up with Abington Health Foundation to start working through the process of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to plan it. And I knew that I wanted to do it once I was done. I just didn't know when that would be. And then another, we'll get back to the fundraising in a second, but another remarkable aspect of this journey, of your journey, you diagnosed surgery, chemotherapy, two young kids at home. You never stopped working. Nope. I never, I never did. And I think I didn't want to stop because I didn't want to give the wrong message to, well, to my kids that, you know, we, Palmais never give up. We're going to get through this, but I also didn't want to make, and I'm very competitive, Joe. So I, 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 I see that. Oh my gosh. That is very <laughs> so apparent. I think, yeah. So I think that I, I didn't, if I stopped my distraction or something that I love by working, I feel like I would have let the cancer either t- take over my mindset or take over my body. And I just wanted to do as much as I could possibly control through, through chemo. And then eventually through, through the surgery, I just wanted to make sure I could be the same Jill that I always have been. Wow. And then, and then I guess some of those work sessions, your child psychology sessions. So you're basically in the hospital, but you're on the zoom, like you're doing zoom calls with your clients. Like you're connecting them through creative ways. You're staying engaged with the people you're trying to serve. Yes, correct. So I would show them a lot of the nurses would yell at me. So I'd have to say, Hey, the kids are getting really upset that you're you're yelling at their therapist right now. So we're good. I know I shouldn't be working, but <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was good. I, I shared, you know, they had anxiety. So I think it was a lot of a, a good teaching moment per se. They see a therapist having it all together, but then me saying, Hey, I'm in a hospital bed with holes beeping and whatever else. I mean, it's a level of anxiety too. So being able to connect that way for the kids as well, so that they could humanize you a little more. Wow. So you're, I mean, just to paint the picture, you are in the hospital bed, you're hooked up, things are beeping, tubes, and then you have your nurses, the nurses serving you, yelling at you to get yes. off the computer. <laughs> you're And you're counseling a child who's in need, is under your care, and then you're telling the nurse to chill because your child's yes. getting anxiety, get more anxiety because don't yell at her therapist. They don't yell at your ch- right. don't yell exactly. at my child's therapist. They, and it's not a good look. Oh my gosh. That's right out of uh, a Netflix series. Oh my gosh. Right? Oh my I know. We should make one. <laughs> oh, I think this is at least ten a 10 part episode, 10 episode season here. Oh my gosh. So let's go time frame. So 
If the timing here is a little off, my apologies. But another part of this journey that I just found so like touching and remarkable during all of this, your father passes away during this process. And Correct. to the point where I want you to tell the story, but you, literally he's in the ICU and you're not even allowed to go in and say goodbye to him because of the situation you're in. Could you, speak to that? Could you tell that story, please, if you want mind? Sure. So, you know, through it all, my dad was a, like my husband, just a huge gentle giant who just doesn't, full of life, doesn't really like to show emotion as far as getting upset, but what he does and he does it, it just there you go. So it was very hard, you know, in the beginning because my dad had heart issues and was in and out of the hospital and then in and out of rehab. And then once I got my diagnosis, I waited a little bit for my mom's blessing to see if he was strong enough to be able to share with him. And I never forget the fact that he just kept sobbing, but I used it as a a way to say, if you're going to fight, I'm going to fight. We got each other. We have to do this for each other. From there, he started to, we would march through the hospital in our Halloween costumes and then Thanksgiving, just try and FaceTime him and do all of that stuff since he wasn't really around. Visit him in, at Christmas. And then he started to really require another heart valve replacement and, you know, he tended to in January. And that's when I started to get really sick, but I didn't ever not want to visit him at the hospital. So I would go and just double mask myself and, and be there with him. And then it was right in February, February 8th is when we got the call that he passed away. So, you know, I grabbed Brian and the kids. We meet my mom and my brother up there at the hospital. I was so afraid I wouldn't have even been allowed to go see him on the ICU. Luckily, they were, I guess, feeling sad with me doing the, hey, I have cancer. Can I please go say at least goodbye a little bit? Um, so they were, you know, pretty good as far as that was concerned. Um, it was devastating and it broke my heart into a million pieces that I wasn't able to go give my dad a hug and a kiss goodbye. Luckily, my brother was relaying things to him as much as he could understand. Um, and from there, that's when you know I really jumped into I have to help my mom plan and I asked to do the eulogy. And then that's when I actually was landed in in the hospital. So I'm trying to get things done from the hospital bed with neutropenic fever. And then after that is when we had his funeral. I was able to actually have that chance to say goodbye. And then now I think it really is. My dad was is or was, I guess, a very devout Catholic. So I feel like he was my angel who really did save me. Um, So it's. What you do for your kids, Joe. So you're literally across the window from your brother and your brother's relaying messages to your dad best as he could. And then your dad passes away. You help your mom plan for the ceremony and service. And you're, you're hospitalized during that time. Are you, are you, Correct. So you're, you're hospitalized, but while you're in the hospital with fever, you're actually helping planning your father's service. Then I, my understanding is you get out of the hospital, go to the funeral and you give the eulogy. Yes. Correct. (laughs) And working too. (laughs) And you never stop working. (laughs) That is so gangster. I mean, that's beyond baller. It's gangster. I mean, that is, is crazy resilience, tenacity, 
a warrior, an absolute warrior. Oh my goodness. So you give the eulogy and I guess you wrote it in the, I guess you wrote it in the hospital. I did. While you're hospitalized with fever, with recuperating from triple negative breast cancer, you write the eulogy, then you come out and you give the eulogy. Oh my goodness. That is so amazing. How therapeutic was that? That had to be so therapeutic though. It really was. It gave me the chance to to put everything onto paper that I wanted to say to my dad if you know he was was able to and he was you know not on his way out when when we did see him. But it was also great because I didn't share it with my brother or my mom. And then they were my dad and I throughout his sickness and me going to visit him. You know we would have. Heart, I guess heart, these hard conversations. So, you know, I'd write down certain things that he would say about my mom and would say about my brother. So I was able to put that in there and give them some, some peace too, as to these private conversations that my dad and I had about them as he was fighting for his life. Wow. And then I, I just a common theme I just see and feel, and you may have mentioned it to me in the pre-show and the pre-talk before the episode and it's so apparent, you didn't have to mention this, but like with you continuing to keep working and where you're doing Zoom calls while you're hooked up to monitors and tubes in the hospital and you have nurses yelling at you and you're writing eulogies and you're giving eulogies and you're visiting your people in the hospital when you should be in the hospital, you just never wanted to give in. You never wanted to give up. Like that competitive drive was there just pushing you the whole way. I guess my question is, where do you think that comes from? I think it honestly comes from being a swimmer my whole life. I think it was just the swimming nature. It's we're odd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have that motivation and that internal drive. And I, I do think that looking at the faces of my beautiful boys and of Brian and my family and friends, I just, I knew I needed to do this and I wanted to have a story to tell. That you wanted to have a story to tell. You, you, it's in your head. You wanted to have that story to tell. And I, I'm really going to mess this analogy up. One of the books that just changed the way I look at the world was Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And um, and um, he was a Holocaust survivor of Auschwitz. And basically, one of the things that kept him going is he wanted to tell his story. He wanted to get out. And he went through hell 10 times over in that concentration camp. But he wanted to tell the story and pass on what he learned to future generations so it never would happen again. And that was like what drove him to get through the hell he went through. And I mean, there's some kind of common principles I hear from you. You wanted to succeed and tell your story. Is that fair? That is 100%. Absolutely. I think it's perfect that that analogy that you have. So what's the time frame? So November, you start the chemo june it ends maybe six months seven months how long is yes june, june it ends yeah seven ish months it ends and they ring the bell and again a wonderful thing was we were able to they don't allow kids at asplen but we asked if the kids could come just so that they could see the finality of it and ringing the bell so it was able to have the kids there and then after that I had a break. I had to get scans done and just allow my body to have a pause from everything. And then that's when I got my double mastectomy in July. And then after that, now it's just getting scanned and hoping it never, ever happens again. Wow. 
And then how often are the scans now? What's like the timing of those? Every six months I have to get scanned. So I have this six months now, and then depending on how it goes, I'll then be graduated up to a year. Gotcha. So the next one's all good. And then just yearly from there. Correct. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Best of luck there. Um, How about what did it feel like? It's just so emotional. Just sometimes I see a YouTube video of someone ringing the bell and it's just so, so powerful. What did that feel like? I'm sure you saw the bell as you were there for months, right? You know, someday that's going to be me. But like when you walk towards I hope not. I hope you never have to ring it. Yeah. But you look at, but you look, it's like you, I'm sure you passed it and saw it. And at some point you're like, I'm ringing that thing. And then, but you walk in that day and like that bell, that bell's going to get rung. And you walk towards that. What did that feel like? Like to, to get there and ring it yourself? What went through your mind? That day, I think, was probably the longest day through all of this, just because I knew we had a meeting with Dr. Suresh, my oncologist, and then Brian and I were taken into the treatment room. And the pharmacy was a little bit delayed. So it was one of these things, almost like if you're waiting to go on a vacation and the airplane's late, like, please just get me to where I need to be. So it was taking a little bit. My mom was bringing my kids from school. So, you know, she's trying to find timeline there, of course, where's mommy and daddy. So all of those things are going through my head of not having that control. So I'm starting to hurry up. Here we go. I want to ring that bell. And then once we were walking out, it just, it felt like such a sigh of relief. It was so emotional. But it was just, you had all of the people around you and your nurses and, and staff and the doctors and just feeling like you were a team and you all did it together, I think is what was the most emotional part of it all. Oh, I can imagine. Do you remember what you did after you rang the bell? How'd you guys celebrate? We went back to our house and I had appetizers for everyone, but wasn't feeling the greatest after the treatment. Everyone else had a great time, right. but... <laughs> It was, uh, you know, just a matter of like, we did it. And then that's just where we went then from there to a, a little family getaway to be able to have some time to breathe for a little Yeah. Bit. Oh, my gosh. So well-deserved. Oh, my goodness. How about what are some of the common side effects you saw, like when you went through the chemo? How fast did they come on? How severe were they? What did you feel going through the seven months of chemo? What was that like? So day one was typically good. The day that I would get treatment, I would typically go to the gym and work out and just run and just kind of, in my head, I felt like if if I was running, the chemo was going through my body faster from killing it. I probably wasn't the right way, but I did it. And then typically day three was the hardest of the days where I would just be so tired. Your muscles, it almost felt like really achy as if you did a really hard lifting session or something along those lines, your muscles hurt. I was extremely nauseous. Didn't really want to eat. Everything tasted just awful. And then I would get the metal taste and then I would have my tongue would get ripped up. So a lot, it was just not fun. (laughs) Then after your last chemo treatment sometime in June, how quick do the side effects go away or how long do they linger? When do you feel like, wow, that chemo side effects out of my system? How long does that take? I probably felt my best starting, essentially starting right around the runtime. So the September, September, so from June to about September, that's when I started to feel 
like myself again. Like I didn't necessarily have my nails weren't brittle. My hair was starting to come back. I started to get eyelashes again. So it was, I felt like I was coming to life again. Well, let's get to that. Let's get to that 5k, which we were so lucky to be part of. So then you and your husband, you planned, you had a 5k. Tell us about the 5k. Sure. And we were so, so happy to have you there and all of the support from you and from the community. It was just wonderful. We really wanted to start doing this 5K right around the December timeframe, but I wanted it to be somewhere local and wanted to really just try and see if we could advertise during a time where we're before the cold weather, but we're not in between the start of school. So we decided for September 25th to have this run where people could come, they could run, they could walk, they could just hang out. We had food trucks available. We wanted to have bounce houses for the kids and just people having a balloon arch and just shirts and participation breast cancer ribbons there just to rally people around and have people come and do it, whether it was people that we did know or, you know, Upper Dublin, they're fantastic. Just people walking Mundock, they decide, hey, you know what, why don't we participate in this as well? So we just wanted to bring that awareness and hope that we could at least touch one person and have them start to think about some of the testing or the signs or the screenings and how important it really is. A 5K like yours, is just I'll tell you what we noticed. One, it, it provided awareness. I've never heard before you went through your battle, obviously everyone heard of breast cancer. I never heard of triple negative. That's just never heard of it. And like it, it provides awareness. And then you provided a way where people could help others, like fun research. You gave the community a cause to rally around and hopefully do some good and help others, which is great. And the 5K, who was the beneficiary of the 5K? Where were the funds directed towards? The funds went to Asplund Cancer Pavilion. So that's where I went to, to get treatment. So they're a standalone building through Abington Jefferson Health. And we were able to raise $10,000 for them. Awesome. Wow. That is so good. Jill, as you look out to the year ahead, what's the next step or phase of the process? Let's say for the fundraising and even for the health-wise, like what are the next steps health-wise and next step for the fundraising? Next step health-wise is just still making sure I'm staying on top of scans or if anything doesn't feel right, being that, I guess, voice to say, hey, I'm maybe over-exaggerating, but you know, it's warranted. But for that also, it's we want to sit down and really see about what we could have improved or if the location was good or if maybe we need to find a different place and just how we could best also advertise and support, whether it is through email blasts or more communications or marketing somehow that we didn't do. So it's really just a matter of trying to make it a bigger thing than, than it was last year. Awesome. So the race, is it going to take place again this September? Are you going to have another one? Awesome. Awesome. What we'll do at the end, I'll put all this in the show notes with the link. Let's transition to, first off, that your story is incredible. Resilience is amazing. The tenacity on how you attack this is incredible. And the one part just blows me away is how it wasn't self-focused. You worried about, obviously you worried about your kids where you brought your therapist hat out and you're shooting guns, which is amazing. But then you worried about your other kids, the kids that were in your care for therapy. 
and you never and you went straight through, which is so incredible. And then on top of that, like you're still in the middle of your battle and you're raising money for others. So just kudos. That is just so impressive and so Thank humbling. You. So it's so amazing. So amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. A couple of fun questions. Usually this part of the interview, we transfer over to a part we call share your secrets. So our guests can get to know you a little bit more as a person. But I think, I think they found out everything they need to know about you through, through <laughs> what we spoke about. Now, are there any resources? Say there's someone, how about this? Jill, say there's someone out there now that thinks, hey, I, something may be up. I don't feel right. Maybe I found something I'm concerned about. What would you recommend? What advice would you give to them? Go speak to your doctor immediately. It's scary and no one wants to hear the bad news. But if you can be the author of your own story, you have that control. So make sure you go ahead and do that. Be the author of your own story. Wow. And then say there is someone out there that maybe just got their diagnosis and is about to start the process that you went through. What advice would you have for them? I would love to help them know the different ins and outs and secrets of when you have chemo, putting on the cold gloves and cold feet socks to help with the neuropathy so you don't lose finger usage. Being able to submit their name at least into a fundraiser called Unite for Her. They send out a box of just self-care Lastly, we spoke about so much. Your story is incredible. Jill, if you could have everyone listening take just one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? Fight. Really just not be afraid of what life has to give you. You come out on top and there's a lesson and I'm still trying to find my my reasons as to why I was diagnosed. But if that means I'm helping other people, then I will take it a hundred times over. Wow. Fight. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap this up. Joe Palme, I'd like to thank you for joining us, sharing your incredibly moving story. I have never been brought to tears in 90 episodes. <laughs> and it happened today. So you got me. I had 90, I guess. <laughs> well, thank you. Never brought a tear to my eye. And uh, you did. So unbelievable story, unbelievable resilience, unbelievable tenacity. I mean, there are fighters, there's ballers, and there's gangsters. And you are a gangster. Oh, my goodness. I love it. Yeah, I love it. So, Jill, if people are looking for you, if people are looking for your counseling, what you do with kids online, where can they find you? VillageTherapyPractice.com. VillageTherapyPractice.com. I will put that in the show notes. If you'd like to connect with Jill with your child for child counseling and therapy services. Also too, if people are looking, maybe they want to make a donation, they want to help fund cancer research for triple negative breast cancer research, but where can they go online to support your cause? The link, it's my event slash triple negative.com. My event slash triple negative.com. What I'll do is I'll get that link from you and I will put that in the show notes. Jill Palme, thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank Continue. you so much. 
continued good health. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been an honor to have you and keep going. You're remarkable. You're crazy Aww, remarkable. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I'm going to talk to you forever. You're so good at your job. Oh, thank you. It's, it's easy when you have remarkable guests like you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jill. Thanks. You're welcome. Bye, Joe. Hey, everyone. It's Joe. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast listening app, or better yet, share the episode with a friend. That really goes a long way of helping the podcast grow and connecting it with a bigger audience. Thanks so much. Talk soon.